Welcome to High Notes with Dr. B, a podcast about brave, courageous, risk-taking women. I want to help us all live a courageous life by challenging you and me about all aspects of our lives. I will feature guests who are guaranteed to inspire you. I will also discuss and review a new book by women. My goal is to challenge myself and you to think about the world around us and lead a life that is about changing for the better. to today's podcast. Today's a little different in that I have five other guests. So as you can imagine, there is some uh, sound issues, a little bit of delay. Um, They are all from various places throughout North America. We have a Canadian guest and then people from Oklahoma, New York City, uh, Ohio, and myself, Virginia. Um, all talking about how um, COVID, and this is the one and only show that I will do surrounding COVID, um, and how COVID has affected the teaching uh, specifically of music. This conversation is held with music educators from kindergarten all the way up to higher education, so university and college students. And how in a, in some instances, a one-day notice, teachers in the panel are having to completely come up with a new way to teach their curriculum and to teach their students and reach every student. I can tell you that this is a big challenge because a lot of students do not have uh, the same kinds of Wi-Fi capabilities. Students don't have the same kind of technology capabilities. It is not something that uh, works across the board. Online teaching does not work for everyone. And that is why we try to give our students uh, choices. However, I think everyone absolutely tried to do the best they could to honor their agreement with students and honor their calling. And that is of teaching. And I will tell you that I have a very strong philosophical opinion about teachers, and that is that it is the noblest profession in the world. And I wouldn't say that about them if they were making tons of money and all of those things, just as I think medical doctors are noble, certainly dentistry, lawyers, maybe, probably not. Um, and. Uh, there are professions that are noble but you make a lot of money at it you know teachers don't make a lot of money they especially public school kindergarten through 12th grade very often have to work another job and why do they do it and you might say well they're stupid to do it but it's the most noble profession and anyone who will take on my children in a classroom more power to you. You deserve all the honor and all the respect that I can possibly give you because my children and yours, I hate to break it to you, are not easy. And so anyone who wants to spend seven hours a day with my kids and try to teach them something, 
I'm going to honor them because they are amazing people who are doing something that I see as a very selfless calling. And if teaching is your calling, then you are a person who definitely deserves and will always get my respect. So with that, I hope that you'll enjoy this podcast, whether you're a musician or not, but I certainly hope that you will find some really amazing details about what schools and school districts and teachers are doing to try to help students learn in this crazy time of COVID. Ladies, thank you so much for being here on uh, High Notes with Dr. B. And today's subject is about uh, education, specifically music education, and how COVID has affected uh, teaching music to students. And I have specifically chosen those who teach in large groups, um, such as uh, public school teachers, elementary, junior high, um, high school, and then also some higher ed as well as some uh, other artists who do some things, what, what is called the teaching artist, who has been kind of doing online things. So I like her perspective because life is not quite as different for her as it has been for the rest of us who have to go to a classroom every day to, to make a living. So um, it's a good little round robin. And what I'm going to do for the listeners is I'm going to tell you we're going to start with our youngest grade teacher first, and then we'll, we'll move around, and then we'll come back to them with some questions, and uh, hopefully you'll find this really interesting. I think it's a very interesting conversation because we are all expecting maybe some new normal for all of us after this, even though I really hate that term. So, and I have purposely not done any other shows on COVID because uh, I don't want to keep talking about it. It's it's something I'd like to not talk about at 24-7 in my life and uh, would like the show to sort of remain timeless, you know, so don't want to have people go, oh yeah, when that crazy COVID happened, that's when this is from. So try not to have lots of podcasts and stuff from this particular or about that subject. So, but this one I think is, is particularly um, interesting, for, especially for those of you who have uh, students who are home and you're having to homeschool them. And hopefully this has given you a new appreciation for the teachers in, in your kids' lives and that you realize how hard they all really do work. And uh, that teaching, even though they get their summers off, it's, that's a, uh, you know, doesn't, <laughs> doesn't make up for the amount of work they put, yeah, off when in air quotes, because they still work over the summer, m many of them. And certainly music teachers do, but also it doesn't make up for the hard, hard work that they do in their buildings every day during those nine to nine and a half months that they're teaching your children and helping you raise them. So uh, it does definitely takes a village. So we'll start with Heather Apple Bailey, who is uh, lives in Moore, Oklahoma, and teaches uh, our youngest age group, I think. Um, maybe not junior high. Well, we'll start with her. I've already said it. I've just realized I've made a mistake that actually she doesn't teach our youngest, but we'll start with junior high. Heather, how are you this evening? I'm doing all right. Thank you for asking. So on a day-to-day -day basis, I teach seventh and eighth grade choir. 
Um, I'm at two junior high schools. So I teach two classes at each school. Um, and each school I have to um, run the choir program. So we're doing fundraisers and concerts and um, all kinds of, you know, crazy fun choir things. But I basically have to do it twice. And um, which is kind of insane, but uh, definitely keeps me on my toes. Um, this year was especially interesting because they piloted a program where every English language learner in the district was put in my sixth hour class at one of my schools. So I had five languages in my sixth hour class and there were about 56 kids in there. And um, half of them would leave after about 20 minutes. So I didn't actually get them for a full hour. So um, then when this whole COVID thing kicked in, it was kind of crazy because then uh, I hadn't really given them full instruction for the whole year. So that was kind of interesting. Um, but in terms of the day-to-day, -day, I teach the seventh uh, and eighth graders um, sight singing and um, we do field trips and contests. And then, um, and then I have a church job uh, on the side um, where I direct a bell choir and I sing in a choir as well. Okay, yeah, so really busy. So let me, let me ask you this, Heather. I think we may have just a little bit of delay because we have so many guests on Zoom and that happens sometimes. But can you give me some idea if you have a lot of English as a first language students in a classroom, and a lot of them don't speak English, were, were most of them uh, able to do things through online learning? Were you able to connect with all of those students, and were they uh, provided some sort of support for online learning? Basically, what ended up happening was, you know, I had to put assignments online and every kid was expected to do it. Of course, I kept it easy. Um, but uh, I mean, in terms of like support, I mean, no, I didn't really have anything extra. I mean, on a daily basis, I didn't have a translator in my room. Um, so it was me and my accompanist and 56 kids. So um, then when this whole COVID thing hit and they're trying to do online work, um, I, I was just, we were basically hoping they had access. Um, we took a survey of the kids when all of this went down um, and found out what they had at home. And so as long as they had access to at least a cell phone, they basically thought that was enough for them to be able to participate and do their homework, which I thought was insane. But um, as long as they had a cell phone, then they were expected to do homework online. But if Using, they don't- um, Canvas. Okay, but if they don't all speak English and you only speak English, how are they right. able? Hmm. Yeah, they basically, we have to use like lots of online resources for translation. Like, you know, Google Translate has become our friend, basically, you know, and there's a lot of applications for real-time translation and um, PowerPoint has actually come out with a really cool resource. I I bought a headset um, and plug it into my computer and it actually um, makes subtitles in real mm -hmm. time on a PowerPoint presentation in whatever language that you want it to translate into. 
Oh, wow. That's but, really cool. Of course, I mean, it's very, very cool. And so, um, and it's actually pretty dang accurate because I actually asked them, you know, how right is that? You know, like, because if I've got kids that are speaking Chinese, I have no way to help them. I studied all of the romantic languages, but, you know, Asian <laughs> languages, I'm, I have no idea. So um, they actually would, you know, give me the thumbs up that they understood it. And so those things would help. Technology would help. Um, but, yeah, they're kind of, they're kind of on their own. Pretty much. Hmm. Very, very yeah. interesting. Well, that's good to know about PowerPoint, though. There you go. That's a really, that's a really yeah. cool it's thing. It's an amazing research. Teachers, yeah. That's, I, I mean, I knew you could speak into it, and it would make like a, like a voiceover, and you could narrate it, but I did not know that it would then translate it to, into writing and, and put it in another language. That's, that's really great to know. Thank you, Heather. So, yep. um, our elementary You're school teacher is uh, Lena Miller, who teaches in the Toledo schools, uh, Washington schools in Toledo. Is Washington schools actually in Toledo? Yeah, so it covers about an eight mile radius in Toledo. Okay, and um, you have kindergarten through eighth grade, is that correct? Um, I currently teach kindergarten through sixth grade. That's how our elementary buildings are designed. Gotcha. Okay. And so what was your experience like? Or has it, it's still going on. Um, so what is so your experience? Normally, like? Yeah. So normally I'm used to seeing my kids once a week for 55 minutes. Um, kindergarten and any of my um students with special needs units. I usually see them twice a week for about 27 minutes. Um, we were told on a Thursday in Ohio, you know, that the schools were to close for three weeks. And so that next day was very much a normal day with, in a sense of, you know, teaching as much as we could. And then, you know, no one really knew what to expect. So um, tried to clear out my classroom with some stuff I knew I'd need for three weeks. Um, and kind of go from there, uh, got online using Google Classroom and a couple other websites and tools that are paid for by our district. And our district also offered um, paper opportunities for students to complete their tasks. Music has been on their choice boards, which means that they have an activity for music each week they are to complete that's relevant to their grade level. Um, and so I think our district did a pretty good job moving quickly, getting kids Chromebooks, getting families hotspots, getting them meals. Um, it's been really, really cool to see some of the outreach that has happened since this all began. Um, but I'm really missing that connection with students. And I'd have to say maybe about 60% of students I'm in touch with. Wow. I think that's a pretty good, uh, ratio actually based on the experience of a lot of the people that I know and in my own experience of teaching a lot of um, lower socioeconomic students, uh, uh, most of those dropped out because no way to have Wi-Fi and those sorts of things at home. I, I teach, you know, up in the Appalachian area and, the, and a lot of our students went home to Appalachian Mountain areas. So, and, and, and maybe they're, family does a lot of farming, but either way, Wi-Fi is not readily available to them, and especially in some of those more rural areas. So 
I'd say 60% of keeping hold of 60% of your students is pretty good. So how okay. do you, how so are you It teaching? just feels so weird, you know? Right. Yeah, it's, it's surreal. It's very, very surreal. So how are you specifically, we have a delay here. How are you specifically teaching music to a wide range of grades and levels and online? So we've tried our best as a department. Luckily, I'm not alone. I have, you know, seven other music teachers that I'm working with and we're each developing plans for each grade level. Um, so that's been a huge help and just trying to connect with them via a YouTube channel and doing a read aloud or if it's on Google Classroom, I'm posting stuff or recording myself singing an acapella or making a Facebook page. Like I'm trying my best to reach out to those students. Um, the students who lack technology, I'm finding a real struggle with getting in touch with. But um, I rest assured knowing that, you know, the faculty at my school is kind of taken notice to those students um, and has been reaching out. It's so overwhelming right now. And I think, you know, being in a specialist area, it's sometimes trickier because they want to focus on doing the math and the science and the other subjects. And because of that, these families are feeling overwhelmed. And so if I'm not reaching out to a family or two, you know, it, it does stink, but at the same time, I know some, so many are reaching out and it's getting overwhelming, especially with families with multiple children who have all different grade levels of stuff to deal with. Right, 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 right. Very, very interesting. And so, um, now we can move, uh, to high school, which I can't imagine a high school student who doesn't have technology is does that exist is there a high school student out there anywhere that doesn't have <laughs> at least gaming capabilities i don't know unfortunately <laughs> it's amazing how many of my kids have a flip phone really <laughs> if yeah. they have a phone at high school yeah yeah I, it's surprising yeah you would think everybody has an like the latest iphone in fact many of them do have more current phones than I have, but um, those aren't the ones that are difficult to reach. Like my situation is Lena and I are in the same, essentially in the same city. I'm on the other end of the city. She's on the west, northwest end, and I'm on the east side of Toledo, at Toledo Public Schools High School, and I service six through 12th graders. Um, and yeah, with the, you would think, I figured, oh, this is going to be great and not great but easy i thought this would be easy for my high school students because I, I thought oh they all have a phone and they're all you know technologically savvy and they'll be able to just fold right into this easy peasy and there's so much more to this situation than just kids getting on their phone and doing their homework uh, I saw, um, of course, we were on Facebook enough to, you know, share our horror stories with other teachers, and we're trying to um, troubleshoot with other teachers and say, hey, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, what do you say, and what do you think, and um, that I, it, it occurred to uh, many of us that, hey, you know, they're, all of our kids all of a sudden are taking six online classes. When they have been in classrooms, they're, they're they don't, do online learning and now they're having to learn six online classes just you know 
like it's supposed to be an easy thing for them. And, and uh, realizing that kind of was like, duh, I should have realized that. Yeah, this is going to be tough. And as a specialist, I, and I've been teaching for a long time. So I'm used to the idea. I heard plenty of times, well, you're a specialist. You're not math, science, social studies. Even social studies is getting kind of slighted these days because if you're not a tested subject, you're, um, you know, you're like the stepchild. So, and so the technology, yeah, I thought that they would have it. Uh, and I found out many of them didn't. And that had, had been a problem. It still continues to be a problem trying to teach online is knowing what kids ha have access to and then accommodating the ones that don't. Like Lena said, we had to make um, paper copies of work for the kids to do that were not, uh, they did not have um, internet access. They surveyed all of our kids uh, to find out who had access, who did not, who had uh, you know, how many kids in the household, how many are going to be sharing one computer? That was the other thing was, yeah, they have a computer in the house, but they have a whole family stuck at home. And who knows how, you know, they know how many kids, but I, as a teacher, I don't necessarily know how many people are going to be needing to use that one computer or the one cell phone. Um, and then uh, the work that I'm providing for them, are they going to be able to have the bandwidth to watch the movie music that I made of the movies that I made of their music so that they could track and learn, learn their music. So, um, yeah, yeah, I thought it would be way easier and, uh, interesting the things you learn when you finally have to do something like this on the fly. Yeah. You know, one of the things I've definitely done is I've learned a lot more about some other technologies I didn't know about by having to try to figure out how to provide some, some sort of curriculum to students, what's some technology that you've that you've been using that maybe you weren't using before, or an application? Um, well, I did. Yeah, what I well, I finally see it. one of the things I belong to a Facebook page uh, for choir directors, and there have been plenty of choir directors on there showing their um, virtual choir projects that they did, which it, that's kind of an easy you think would be an easy transition to go from classroom setting to, oh, we'll just do a virtual choir. Okay, everyone thinks, oh, they look great. You know, lots of virtual choir productions out there until you try to do one and realize <laughs> there are so many problems with that technology. What I did discover uh, with delay, I mean, we're even having that issue here. You have a little bit of, we'll have a delay or try to sync up multiple voices at the same time. Um, but I, I um, did actually just yesterday, uh, and the last two days, but yesterday I spent, um, oh gosh, probably 12 hours working on a Final Cut Pro uh, virtual choir. And for for presentation for tomorrow, we're still doing our, um, we do a Memorial Day program every year. It's been going on for over 100 years. So this year it's online. So we did the virtual choir uh, with with my kids using Final Cut Pro. So I had to learn how to do all this editing, which is they don't, I don't think they give you a class in that um, <laughs> when you get your degree, but oh, they probably should now. Uh, <laughs> and so Final Cut Pro, um, I've been using GarageBand all along. I use it to do rehearsal tracks. Uh, and I've had uh, Google Classroom all along. I've used that as a, a resource for the students to go to learn their parts 
practice their parts, submit rehearsal uh, recordings of themselves, learning their part, singing their part. So Google Classroom has been something that we've been using all along. And now with the idea that perhaps uh, in the fall, we're going to be uh, doing a blended classroom, partly online, partly in, in the building is one of the thoughts. Um, definitely they expect all of us to use Google Classroom and then also teach in the classroom and they kind of blend the two together. So Google Classroom, Final Cut Pro, uh, GarageBand, those are the uh, technologies that I've been using, technologies, applications, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's, that's uh, pretty, pretty interesting. I've never used Google Classroom. I should look at that. Okay, um, I don't know whether this is true, but this came up on my choir, the choir director page and they were saying that the TikTok generation is trying to get Google Classroom app removed by giving it no one star in you know, the lowest grade you can give it because they're, they're wanting to have that app. I don't know, I guess you get an F, you get booted off of the app world. I don't know how it works, but I, I thought that was kind of funny. And then I thought, well, you know, that might be something to that. Maybe um, kids saying, hey, you know, if the app gets booted off the island, um, then we don't have to do our homework. I don't know if that's a I thing. I actually heard but, about uh, something like that. I, uh, that I had heard about that too. Really? So who, whose hands, who holds the power? They are tricky little boogers. <laughs> thank you lisa thank you that's that, that's some really interesting information and parents if you have any idea that your students are trying to sabotage google classroom you might want to have a conversation with them <laughs> all right so we'll move on to um ashley renee watkins who lives in new york city and i'll let her tell you all about what she does she does something a little different um, but interesting nonetheless. Yeah, so I am um, a teaching artist and facilitator. So uh, with student work, I primarily do something called units in schools. Well, I'll go into um, anywhere from an elementary school to even higher ed, um, though I'm not doing that much higher ed work right now. Um, and we'll do sort of an extended stay visit where we're on the campus about twice a week. Um, and pushing into a subject area. So I'd actually be partnering with a classroom teacher from an array of subjects um, and doing the Lincoln Center sort of curriculum, but we build the, we co-construct the curriculum with um, our teacher partner. So we um, just prior to this had, I was in a unit that had 10 visits that um, we were at visit five. And um, one of the sort of anchors of the unit is that the students see a live performance on the Lincoln Center campus. Um, so that's an example. I also was in a unit for another organization as well. Um, and that unit was um, a little less, a low, little lower touch point. So that was sort of an all day visit to an exhibition. And then we do a workshop around the exhibition. And that was actually like a music technology workshop. So using like GarageBand to um, build soundscapes and things like that. Um, yeah, so that's, that's pretty much what I do. And I um, also work with adults, like training 
So we've had, um, we actually had a giant training that we were going to be doing down in Texas that is now moving to later in the year and moving virtual. Um, so we're figuring that out, but we actually do use um, platforms like Google Meets, um, not Google Meets rather, that is a, a platform, but um, Google Classroom. <laughs> um, and I can possibly understand why they're trying to sabotage it. It's kind of, um, uh, Google can do better. <laughs> they can. So I hope it doesn't sabotage it, but I hope they work out some of the, it's very, um, it's not smooth. Uh, it's not a smooth platform as much as it, it could be because it's been around for a while. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I do that work, but we've sort of shifted now to not only doing, um, a lot of my colleagues are doing their units online or they're doing something like what me and my co-teaching artists were doing. Um, we are actually pre-recording our sessions so that the school can insert them at whatever point that they need to for the students. So we are picking up the unit where we left off and pre-recording on, um, pre on Zoom and then doing some video editing and screen recording on our Macs <laughs> and like um, just sort of doing that kind of work. And then we're also doing um, Facebook Live and YouTube Live um, and it's all archived on there. We're doing those kinds of sessions as well. So if I'm a teacher in say Ohio or Oklahoma and I want, I have a, mm -hmm. uh, a unit on sound and I want to talk about the singing voice or how music instruments are heard or whatever. I can mm -hmm. go and ask you your um your organization so um as it stands right now lincoln center um currently services the greater new york city area so in and around um there but um who knows now that we're moving into this digital age um because right now all of our live content as far as there's there's a crew of teaching artists that are doing um sort of facebook live and pre-records on facebook that content is accessible to anyone and it's not necessarily customized so it's sort of like general theater concepts or music concepts or dance even or um, uh, visual arts. So it's sort of general, but with what's happening now, what's happening with that now is because so much of the, the content is moving online, it actually makes institutions like Lincoln Center or Kennedy Center more nationally um, accessible than they were prior. To this gotcha. um gotcha. so for those for us now it quite possibly will be that we could possibly service um a school in arizona or a school in california more um intentionally and more um custom in a more customized way makes sense makes sense hmm. well definitely school's gonna be Rethought, right? Rethought and re redone, I think. We still have the access gap here, though. I don't know the exact statistics, so I won't name it. 
Um, but there are quite a bit of students. Um, I don't know if we're at 60% retention here, um, but there are quite a bit of students who still don't have access. They have worked like other school districts around the country, all students were given Chromebooks um, or access to Chromebooks. And also one of the local internet companies here has given access to everyone that can have access, if that makes right. sense. Right. Um, right. Right. But there is a very high homeless student population here that lives in shelters. So I'm not quite sure of what the sort of, um, infrastructure has been to accommodate that now uh, remote learning in spaces like that. Um, but those are the kinds of things we also are looking at, you know, what summer school. Now I do know one in six students are going to be in summer school this summer. Um, wow. So that's a large summer school population to still figure out how to service. Um, right. Yeah, so it's still access issues. They are I will say, I thought it was huge that um, the local internet service did its free access for those who can't afford it. So that is a major thing. Yeah, um, that is And of course good. the Chromebooks, I think, are like a national issue. Yeah, but you know, when there is no, when you don't have an overhead space, then that's still an issue. So we're figuring that out as well. Right. All right. Our next person on our on our roundtable discussion is Dr. Vicky St. Pierre, and she is uh, in North America, up in Canada, and um, teaches. I'll let her tell you where she teaches, but she teaches uh, higher ed, so she teaches college age musicians. Thank you, Vicky, for coming. My pleasure. I'm glad to be here and uh, have this discussion. And it's really interesting for me to learn um, some of the information from the, from the states, you guys, uh, in the elementary and middle school and the high school system, um, and to learn about teaching artists as well. Uh, those, those are programs that we don't have really in, in Canada at this point. I don't think the teaching artist system is, is not uh, as evolved, I think, as, as what you have right now. Anyway, I teach in a, at a little liberal arts university called Mount Allison University, and it's in a little tiny town in New Brunswick. And um, the reason that that's exciting is that New Brunswick has had no cases for two weeks and everyone has recovered. There have been no deaths. So uh, it's been uh, a really sort of, yeah, I know, a lot of hand waving and uh, very, it's very exciting and we're moving toward a more uh, open economy right now um now that's a little scary because uh people are you know a bit flaunting but uh, uh of the of the rules and regulations but what are you gonna do um anyway um so what we did quickly uh, when we went off uh um, campus and went to online learning at the end of our term we only had three weeks left so that meant that we could fairly easily make do with just about all of our courses i teach uh, several courses and at the time I taught uh, applied music so that would be the one-on-one -on -one voice lessons and uh, opera workshop which would uh, have involved a performance in fact th the day that the, the schools uh, closed March the 16th would have been for us uh, would have been our final performance of our opera scenes and then they would have had a few more assignments 
um, due after that where we got together and, and, and worked on some other opera stuff. Um, so those things moved online fairly well, except the applied music was really difficult because of, of some of the things that you guys have mentioned already, which is access, the ability to, to be sure that you have a stable Wi-Fi connection, uh, the ability to record and have a space to practice um, your juries, et cetera, et cetera. So I advocated that the voice students not have a jury, but instead write an assignment uh, that was um, a couple of short and a couple of sorry substantial paragraphs on each of their jury pieces so that they gave us some historical context and they gave us um, the technical issues that they had worked on something that they had learned from it and, and the benefit of, of actually studying this piece uh, in, in amongst their repertoire. Um, most students actually commented at the end that that was a very valuable experience for them and, and uh, so I'm glad that we were at least able to to wrap up their applied lessons in that way. Moving forward, we've now been discussing, all, as, as have all Canadian universities, um, how we're going to deliver the next term of classes. So all of our spring summer courses, and there was a large uptake in our spring summer courses that are online. So our online self-directed learning, um, I have a colleague uh, who's a very good friend, and in fact, in my two-family bubble, we're allowed to have two households that don't have to social distance. So she's in my bubble. And uh, so my bubble buddy and I um, uh, have been chatting about this, and she's teaching one of those. So she pre-records her, her lectures, and then they just, they, they, it's self-directed so they get them when they get them and then they do the assignments and then they have to have them done by such and such a time so she marks them when they come in but as far as fall goes we've been discussing a hybrid model here i think that's what they're going to probably go forward with but i don't have any official word most universities are going to be almost completely online and uh, that's going to be really interesting especially with things like music uh, anything there's sort of experiential learning um, and those sort of applications it's a it's a matter of figuring out not how to best deliver what you had before but how to deliver what you can deliver now in the best way possible so it's a shift it's a shift of paradigms really so that taking let's let's say a vocal pedagogy course i'm going to have to instead of thinking, well, how would I do this in the classroom and can I translate that to online? I have to think, how can I best teach this online? So uh, I'm thinking of taking um, some modules and, and making them like maybe not written tests, maybe verbal tests, questions, uh, like a discussion with, uh, with each of the students if the class isn't too uh, large. Um, I don't know, other ideas like that that, that take um, completely really change the the my approach to how I would deliver a, a pedagogy course. Right, right. Yeah, I've already been thinking about that as well, because that's that's something that's in my um, schedule for next year for sure. So how to do that. And I, I think a lot of us are going to have to find ways to have some webinars for each other and maybe maybe do some uh, Zoom lectures for each other, some things like that, because I, I don't know, it's gonna, be, it's gonna be pretty tough, I think, to uh, engage them, especially yeah. after this year, like they're really sick of it. I mean, what do you all think um, about the fact that there's a lawsuit against universities by, and it's a class action, and it's, it probably, probably 
Yeah, I know it's in the U.S. I don't think it's in Canada. But see, the thing is, is that in the U.S., you can sue anybody for anything. And we're a very uh, litigious uh, society, and it's really stupid. And if we would make the loser have to pay all of the um, law fees, then we'd have a lot less of that bullshit. And yes, I did say that on my podcast. But anyway, uh, <laughs> um, I, I just think that it's nuts that, that, that there are lawyers that are like, yeah, let's sue all the universities for you having to be online for your classes. Um, we would have liked to have not had to do that. We would have had them on campus if it wasn't for the fact that they could die. I mean, it's, or, or, probably maybe not them not yeah. die but the instructors that they're around because they're older right or or whatever that it would have helped not help the bubble mm -hmm. but i think we did what we had to do and what we could do and i can't imagine that there's a that there is a judge in this world that goes yeah this is a good idea anyway what do you what do you think about that it is what it is and and we just have to make those tough decisions and obviously yeah. making those tough choices are, you know, making the right choices aren't obviously the easy ones. So we yeah, have to well, tune out all the Complaining is one thing, suing is another. But anyway, <laughs> and, and we would like to have given our students their on-campus, their on-campus experience, right? But, you know, so I don't know. I think it's really sure. stupid. But so, all right, ladies, this is on the lighter side, and then I'm going to let you all go on with your lives. Uh, Vicky St. Pierre, what are you doing that's not music oriented during COVID that you wouldn't be doing otherwise? Uh, we're cutting out an area of our back lawn because it's no longer, it's not lawn, it's just weeds anyway, so we just cut it out. <laughs> so uh, we've been doing a lot of gardening and house maintenance and that kind of stuff. And uh, it's been actually, it's been really nice. I haven't really minded that, that free time to do it. The, the blooming, how long is it going to be before I start performing again is, is a little difficult sometimes. But when you just like dig a lot of dirt and hammer stuff and you know fix things then you know you feel a little bit better so that's what basically i've been doing with my time good for you good for you lisa morgan what have you been doing i got a new piano now, i got the piano right before covid hit uh so um yay i'm uh, doing some uh composing not enough though i need to do more i Gardening takes a lot of time. I just moved two yards of soil to my brand new raised beds in the back. So I've been, you know, working out. Shoveling. Wow. That's, that's great. Other than that, chilling with my husband, who's also a teacher. So we both have that teacher online life. So, you know, we wear pajama bottoms and we binge watch Netflix after three o'clock. Now that's one company that's seen a nice little uptick, I think. Lena Miller, what are you doing? Um, in my dreams, I'm working like Vicky and Lisa with the garden and like trying to plan my yard, but I'm on the couch with Netflix usually. So maybe that will come to fruition <laughs> later this summer. Um, right now it's not and I, it needs to. Um, <laughs> so just been doing some reading and just, you know, really relaxing and, um, what are you reading? Coloring adult color, coloring books with jaw pens. Um, I'm reading a book right now by, um, Glennon Doyle, I believe. Her yes, new book, Doyle. Untamed. Yeah. Okay. Um, cool. yes, yes. Yeah. And I have enjoyed it. So mm -hmm. good. Heather, what, I just what, had major what, what, surgery. 
Well, that's something to do during COVID. Um, I have been, yeah, that's something to do. Uh, and I did get, have to get tested, and that was not fun. I'll tell you, that COVID test is no joke, yo. That, that, that the thing one? goes all the way up and up to here. Oh, man. It is, it's up your nose, and it goes all the way to, like, right behind your ear. It is seriously no joke, and it's on both See, sides. See, I think you it's only had that space. Um, but it's negative, out. so I was good. <laughs> I mean, I'm – well, and, of course, the whole time I was in the hospital, they were like, wow, your lung, your lung capacity is so big. And I'm like, I told you a million times I'm a singer. What? Hello. I've been, you know, playing with the dogs. And, um, I've been doing gardening and, um, I'm remodeling my house. And so I, I do that. Um, so I hammer things and paint things and destroy things and then put them back together. And then That's we've been great. having lots of, um, with Ashley, we've been friends forever. So we have lots of house party, um, game nights on online. It's fun. Ashley, what have you been doing? I have been uh, getting into like getting better at like making artisan breads. I had to oh. wait a while because um, I never used a starter before and someone sent me that recipe and I said, I'm not ready to commit to having a starter child. <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not ready to raise that kind of child. <laughs> so I had to wait my beautiful mom uh who lives down in dallas or a suburb of dallas got me like a ton of yeast because it's completely out of stock everywhere so she got it and it finally came in a care package with some stuff so i've been finally getting into my doughs that i love so i can um whip out my kitchen aid um are you making sourdough i didn't do a sourdough yet i just did like a like a beginner like whole wheat loaf yeah, I'm doing that kind of stuff. Thank you, ladies, so much. I'm so grateful to all of you. Join me again next week for a new podcast coming your way. Also, I would be so grateful if you would please rate and subscribe to this podcast. It would mean so much to me. All notes for this podcast can be found on the new website, highnoteswithdrb.com. Thank you again for listening, sending you all peace, love, and courage.